People say that a movie is really made in the edit, and that's where the story comes together. But that's more true with a movie like Borat than any other movie, because so much of it is improvised, so much happens in the putting together of the footage that's gathered, and so much of the script is loose and situation-based. How much of something like Borat 2, subsequent movie film, is written in advance and scripted, and how much is a process of putting together what Sasha Baron Cohen gets on set. My guests today are the three editors on Borat 2. And what's great about them is that in addition to all the insights they have on Borat, they've had very interesting careers. James Thomas has been editing with Sasha Baron Cohen since the beginning. They met early on. So he's a longtime collaborator and he brings all the insight into Sasha Baron Cohen's past and the way they've built these characters and this form of storytelling, which has really revolutionized how think comedy works and how movies are cut uh, to the table. Craig Alpert also came in and edited on the first Borat along with James Thomas, but he's had a very long career as an editor of all things from comedy to action to, you know, everything. Do, uh, he did the Deadpool movies. He did Pitch Perfects. He did Funny People. He did Pineapple Express, Meet the Fockers, The Matrix movies, Scary Movies. So he's cut on a lot of stuff in various parts of the department, not to mention uh, he's got the Suicide Squad coming up. So Craig's got a very impressive resume. And then Michael Giambra started editing on Nathan For You. So he's edited a lot of this type of comedy. Uh, he edited on Moonbase 8. Um, he edited on Tim and Eric's awesome show, Great Job, which I love. Kroll show, Eric Andre show. So he's experienced cutting this type of comedy, working with Absolutely, which is Tim and Eric's company. Long story short, these three guys are all just amazing. Their careers are impressive. They're cutting the biggest, best comedy content that exists today. Um, their insight into how you edit comedy, how they built their careers. Michael has a really cool story uh, that'll apply to just about anybody. Um, and I, I don't want to tease anymore, but it's just great. I love his story. But all of them bring a lot. And we talk about stuff like the Rudy Giuliani scene and everything else that comes with working with the craziness of Borat. So here we go. Thank you, all three of you, for coming. You all have such impressive careers, and there is so much I want to talk about. So many of the things each of you has edited individually or together have been things I personally love. I can think of quite a few that I actually cried laughing a few times watching some of the stuff you guys have cut. Um, <laughs> but I want to start off with something that I feel like I have to do at the top, which is, you know, this movie that we're going to talk about mainly, Borat 2 or subsequent movie film, it was, it was a lot different than the first from my perspective, just in that it felt like it combined, it felt like, and I could be wrong, so correct me, that it combined more scripted elements perhaps than in the past. So if you could all three just speak to, you know, the challenge of editing a film like that that is so hybridized and with a talent as unique as Sasha, I just want to hear about how that looks compared to any other editing job that you might do. Um, should I should I take that, guys? I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. Since you worked on the first one, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I mean, they are 
they're definitely different movies. And I think, you know, the passage of time and everyone actually knowing Sasha and knowing his style of comedy did definitely mean that the second time round for, for subsequent movie film, that there were more scripted scenes. Um, and then we also had uh, the incredible Maria Bakalova, who she brought an element to the movie that I, I just don't think any of us could possibly imagine how uh, impactful she was going to be with the film. And, you know, those scenes between her and Sasha became not just ways of pushing the narrative forward. They became scenes and moments in the movie that, you know, just were so brilliant. And 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 so, you know, they gave the movie, this movie, a, another element of heart um, that I don't think going into this project, I certainly didn't expect. In, in reading any script, was there anything that indicated that it would end up going in that direction to you? There, there was. I mean, so, so obviously, Tuta was, you know, she, she, she was a, a huge part of the movie right from the beginning. But, but, you know, the difference between those those scripted pages and actually the interactions and the credibility of the interactions that her and Sasha had, and then her ability to also sit down in a room with Rudy Giuliani on her own and you know literally stare down the barrel of that gun and pull it off was you know it was just amazing. Yeah, um, I want to contextualize, James, you've worked with Sasha, you've been cutting this character as well as his other characters since the beginning, pretty much, correct? Yeah, yeah, I was lucky enough to meet Sasha um, on a show in England in 1998 called The 11 O'Clock Show, uh, which was a kind of topical uh, news-based kind of uh, show that was on three times a week, and Sasha would do a five-minute skit within that hour and a half of TV a week. And, you know, you'd get Ali G, sometimes you'd get Borat sometimes. And, um, yeah, that's when we that's when we met. So, what, 20, 23 years ago, I think it was. So when you say, you talk about the heart that, this, that her performance brought out in the character, it's really speaking to the the whole evolution of his work, right? It was an unexpected turn in some ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose so. I mean, Sasha's got incredible acting chops, you know, and we've seen that. We've borne witness to that. With he does his his performance, you know, he goes sure. up and, and is in other people's movies. But to 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 bring that element into this kind of unscripted world, I think was what was the the thing that was really kind of revolutionary about this particular movie. Yeah, and and Craig. Your background and your resume is a lot more traditional narrative features, like large budget projects, a lot of comedies. I do think you worked a little bit on the first one, right? Or what What was your exposure like to the team prior to this project? Yes, I worked. The only time I had worked with Sasha prior to this was I I, I did work on the first, first movie as well with James. I came on a little later than everyone else, but just sort of, um, you know, helped get through the whole thing. So this this wasn't really too different other than, I mean, the main point is, is just ma- ma- making the making the scripted scenes feel, feel like the rest of the movie. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with how it's shot, but also sort of how it's cut as well, you know? So in, you know, in hopes that the audience doesn't, doesn't realize that they're watching a scripted um, 
a scripted scene and it feels as as natural and, uh, yeah yeah organic and uh, flows like the rest of the movie michael i'm not sure what your first project with sasha was but just looking at your resume from i mean tim and eric are hilarious all the things so much happens in the edit i would imagine on the genius of those shows and decker and nathan for you is amazing so i'm really curious like where you have an experience obviously cutting together these things that are the comedy is reality based and kind of what's happening in the moment with these these kinds of talents uh what brought you into borat 2 and uh what was it like working with these other two guys because you had not worked on the first one yeah this was um this was my first feature film and i was brought in by jason woliner the director i worked with him on uh, several tv shows for adult swim and various other projects so he texted me one day and said you know i have would you be interested in a feature film that i'm directing i have to call you you can't tell anyone about it and he told <laughs> me about it and i was like I, I was like just shocked i just didn't believe it was actually going to happen but prior to that call i was um contacted about editing some test footage for what would be who is america just kind of seeing how Sasha would, uh, you know, it'd be, it was Sasha in these prosthetics and disguises interviewing various people. And I've, I cut a few little scenes for Sasha and the producer, Todd Shulman, who I think produced the first film. And so that was a, a bit of my in a bit, you know, Jason presented all scenes said, Hey, Mike cut these scenes from, from who's America, the test, uh, the test footage. So they saw, they knew of my experience cutting these scenes and Jason vouched for me and met the producers, met Sasha and just kind of fell into it um, pretty hard and, and met these guys uh, over the process. And it felt like we collaborated really well. Yeah. I want to go back to what James mentioned in answering just how it was different than the first, the big scene, the thing that was talked about the most in the lead up and much talked about after the Giuliani sequence, putting it together. I just, I'm really curious from each of you, you know, so much scrutiny, knowing that this was this like bomb under the table, so to speak. Can you tell me about cutting it, about what didn't make the cut in it or about the decisions you all made as a team crafting that? It, it, it's a funny one, this George, because we've been asked this question a few times and- I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> but I have to ask it, so I'm getting it yeah, out. No, no, it's a, it's, a great, it's, a good, it's a good question to ask because um, the the answer might surprise you. Actually, because of the nature of those those things, like CPAC and Giuliani, for instance, you you only get one real shot at it. Um, you can't you can't have a go around and 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 kind of ask really <laughs> no, to you know go again or or there's no back to one for Giuliani. There's no back to ones. No, and the same you know with Mike Pence and CPAC, it's it's all that's kind of how it happens, and so. Actually, to answer your question, the, the material that we got from that was, you know, it happened in a fairly concise way. You know, the, the interview with Maria and Rudy was probably, I don't know, a total of maybe 45 minutes. Um, and then all the stuff, the ancillary stuff in the bedroom around it, that all happened in real time. So, you know, it's a real testament to the way that production is organized. And, you know, I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again, it's kind of like robbing a bank. You know, so <laughs> those guys go in there, they're so organized, you know, they've they've literally got everything thought of. Jason is kind of masterminding the whole thing, Sasha as well, obviously. And and yeah, they have this one opportunity and 
they've become over the years really good at <laughs> making those count, thankfully. So, you know, we didn't we didn't have I mean the camera, you know, the room was rigged with a bunch of cameras and then there were the interview cameras, but it, it wasn't like we had a, a ton of material. It it really played out in real time. Got it. So it was, we saw what you got, basically. That was one of those situations. I mean, obviously, it wasn't 45 minutes of interview, but um, that pretty played, much. But you, yeah. yeah. Um, do you guys, Craig and Michael, do you have anything to add to it about like cutting that? And then we'll, we'll move on to other parts of the film, but I am curious. Um, no, not really. I mean, that, I mean, that was pretty much the interview. We just, you know, we just had to condense it a little bit. Yeah, Mike, do you have anything? I think. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> what you see is, is kind of what you get. It was just shocking to see the level of, uh, <laughs> the level of flirtation that was happening in the room. It just, it, you know, watch they, when they shot it, they were streaming it. Um, like had a secret stream going. So we were able to s watch it happening live. Oh, cool. A, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. So, so you guys were sitting there watching it while it happened. Is that true for a, was that true for a lot of the movie? A few, a few scenes, right? James. I think that was pretty much the yeah we had a secret YouTube stream for that that scene because a lot of people obviously were really anxious to see how it went and you know that was our that was our the culmination of the movie the smoking gun and so um, yeah we all tuned in and and I, I think at the time I can remember watching it and just thinking holy crap and then <laughs> within about ten minutes of it of it ending Sasha called and was like so we got it we got it. And I was like, well, I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, give us give us a, a beat. And we all kind of went off and, and looked at the material and, and decided that, yeah, it, it probably was the scene that we all hoped it would be. Wow. Um, I, I can't imagine. I, I have this image of, um, you know, that famous picture of the Obama staff watching the attack on bin Laden. <laughs> it just feels like crowded around all of you, like waiting to see, like, is this going to work and how they're going to pull it off? Um, that's incredible. On that note, because you talked about how in that instance, you guys got, you know, they went in, they robbed the bank, they got a clean getaway-ish. What are the things, this movie, a movie like this, there's so much that gets shot. Are there things that obviously don't make it for reasons that, you know, just pacing, you're trying to tell a story and it's hilarious or strange or unique, but it just doesn't fit. Like, I'm really curious and I know everybody who sees these movies is as well. Like, how, what's the ratio of stuff that you as, as editors feel is like, that's some good stuff, but we can't make it work. Is there, you know, a lot? I mean, I, I think, I mean, I think, I mean, there, there's always a lot of good stuff and Sasha shoot, shoots a lot of material and there's some scenes that we all really love and we try to work them in, but it just, for one reason or another, pacing or sort of going off story, they, they just don't make it. And fortunately with Sasha, he's not really precious with any of it. So we try what we can to get some of the extra stuff in and off often, you know, it, it it doesn't make it. So yeah, there's there's a lot of material. I think pretty pretty similar to the first the first movie. How much is is on the floor? I would say like the you know the the, the biggest scene that with the most footage on the cutting room floor would be the lockdown house with Jim and Jerry and Sasha was there for yeah that <laughs> five days straight and we're talking about 140 hours of continuous footage um, that got whittled down to eight minutes. 
Um, and it was <laughs> it was past that that scene. I mean, we've all took a crack at editing. We had a, a few guest editors come in, work on it a bit, um, try to present their versions. So it was a big mashup of several different versions, you know, with lots and lots of jokes that were really great, but just you can't have a, a 60 minute scene uh, with Jim and Jerry in the middle of the movie. It's just going to slow down everything. So we, we really had to be, you know, malicious with that and just cut it down to the bone. So there, there was a lot, there were a lot of pieces that I was sad to see go, but um, I feel I like there's a stronger scene. I feel like there's gotta be like some really hilarious understated things that never could have had a chance to even make the cut in terms of story, just from 140 hours of those two guys living with him, just like common little moments. I can't even imagine how you make those decisions. What are the guiding principles for you guys? Where it's just like, there's got to be so many strange little things. Once they get accustomed to the cameras, right? Mm-hmm. It's just them living their lives. It was kind of an anomaly in, in a way in the movie. It was, it was um, you know, and I think our worry, I certainly chatted with Craig and Mike about it when we first knew that was coming, was how do we do this in a way that doesn't make the movie grind to a halt? Because as, as Mike said, there's 140 hours of material. And, you know, there was just, you could, and there probably will be, you know, a kind of version at some point, which is, you know, a half hour TV show of these guys. Um, <laughs> I'd watch a whole season just because it's so strange. <laughs> yeah, because it, it literally is a big brother house kind of scenario. So. I guess to answer your question, um, it, it's really the choices were, you know, we need to push the, the story forward, right? So he had to be exposed to some of these crazy QAnon theories. And then he had to, um, you know, using the computer as a device, find his daughter and find where she would be next. Um, right. And so once we got those story points covered, uh, then it was like hanging some some just really fun stuff like you know him taking out the thinking that he can kill the virus with a frying pan um you know just kind of ridiculous kind of silly stuff uh, coupled with some you know some pretty satirical stuff you know what's worse the clintons you know the democrats or the virus and they are <laughs> you know you can yeah. write that stuff one of know. the one of the great moments of the movie really that's why i think about that scene i just think I'd love to know what the casual conversations were. I'm sure they were all funny or would all be funny to me um, without it being making sense in the context of the movie, a feature nowadays, which makes me this kind of like another thing I wonder about. The first movie came out in 2006, this movie, 2020. There's a lot that happened in between, not just politically, like reality show. You mentioned Big Brother, like it's the explosion of the awareness of cameras around people. Um, you guys have worked on some of these kinds of shows that have moved the ball in that sense, like Nathan Free. Like people are more savvy to, hey, there's a camera here. I mean, Borat practically built that, right? Like there's a camera here. I'm on camera. I might be getting, I might be the subject of the joke or I might, like how much of a challenge did it pose? How did it change the approach for the team? creatively, knowing that this was now in, in the lexicon, not just the character, but the whole style of filmmaking. I think it's always a fear sort of, is is this going to feel fresh enough? You know, because sort of, you're right, after Borat, you know, the first movie emerged, there there were a lot of shows that were sort of like this, but I think it's thanks to 
Sasha's humor and uh, storytelling and Jason's direction to just sort of keep it fresh and interesting and engaging for people people to watch. Sorry, I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's good. I mean, it's a yeah, it's a big long question. I, I I get it. It's I think if I could narrow it down a little, just knowing that the whole style is more pervasive, where there are a lot more takes of people. You showed some at the beginning. Just knowing who he was or knowing what the deal is when there's a camera around. I mean, you still got the good stuff. Like, it all happened. I'm just wondering if it was harder or if cutting it, you were really aware of, like, wow, the medium has changed and this and this process of filmmaking has changed. Yeah, to someone else. Yeah, I mean, certainly I believe more, more people recognized him, you know, and those are just the, just the sections of dailies that we just, you know, we just don't use. It was definitely harder, right? Because as you said, George, you know, back in 2006, the world wasn't that aware of this type of comedy. And so a lot has changed, reality shows, all that kind of stuff. So I do think it was much, much harder. And that's where I think the, the really smart thing came in from the writers with the, the scripting of this movie. And they took some of the emphasis um off just this being a Borat movie. And they they had it as a two-hander right from the start. You know, it was a it was a story about a father and daughter's connection and how that how that kind of evolved. And so we weren't so completely reliant on the 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 reality aspect, which we, you know, it was very easy to lean into that in 2006 with the whole Pamela Anderson stuff was because we could, there was no risk of Sasha showing up somewhere and getting busted and, and and not being able to get the scene. So I think that's where that that I don't know if that answers the question, but I think I think that's where the difference was. I kind of want to ask you guys each to go through if I had endless amounts of time, I would just go through each of your careers because you won't all really do have a lot of projects I would love to hear about editing, but I'm going to try and generalize so we can start to go down the line. But you've all cut a lot of really successful, but just like really good comedy. This movie's among them, but but your resumes have like, you know, if it's Flight of the Concords, again, I'll mention a few. If it's recently Moonbase 8, if it's Funny People, uh, Talladega Nights, like if you were teaching, if you're trying to explain to people like, look, cutting comedy is different. Comedy paces differently. There's the idea of rooms for laughs sometimes. Like, what are the things about cutting comedy that you've learned that you would, if you could pick a couple, that you would pass on? Well, look, every um, every director also sort of shoots shoots comedy in a different um, in a different way. And I think just the way you edit it also sort of depends on the actor comedian and in sort of the type of comedy that they're performing. And I've found that it does help to screen for an audience really as much as possible with some of this stuff, because sometimes you'll, you'll think something's hilarious. Someone else will think something else is hilarious. Either you're both wrong or both right. But uh, I guess it's hard to explain sort of the timing. You just sort of have to feel it out based on the actor and the, sort of their performance. So would you say you've cut, you know, like Seth Rogen a number of times, would you say you have a feel for the rhythm of his jokes or his takes and you kind of get the feel like, okay, I know 
how to cut him from the test screenings I've done from the past projects. Like I know how to work with that material. Definitely. Yeah. Because, you know, some comedians also are more visual than other others, you know, like Zach Galifianakis, which I know that Mike has cut as well. I cut a movie that he was in as well. And he is very expressive in the, in sort of how he says his lines and um, sort of the reactions after he says the lines. So a lot of the times for him, you want to hold a beat because just maybe staying on him an extra second or two straight faced or with whatever look he left is actually, yeah. that's, that's, that's the joke. Not, not as yes. much what he said before that, but someone like Seth, who's absolutely brilliant, will just fire him off, fire him off. And, um, it, it, it really, I know it's sort of difficult to explain, but it's, it, it's really sort of actor comedian specific, um, yeah. on, how, on how they perform and that, that sort of drives the editing of, of the bit or the joke or the scene. No. Yeah. That, that makes sense. James moving to you, uh, like, you know, I, I thinking of, you've worked obviously a lot with, with Sasha and. So much I feel like with his style and what you guys have done together is 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 like anarchy. It almost reminds me of like the Marx Brothers in a way. It's like his his characters are are like attacking the structures of the world. But you've also done other things like uh, Flight of the Concords, which is a totally different thing. Um, like, is it similar? You're trying to adjust a little bit to the talent, or do you have approaches, or do you have any like lessons you take from it? I, I think I've really completely agree with with what Craig just said which is you know we're, we're kind of given a roadmap from by the performers because as you say you know Friday the Concords and Sasha I mean you, those are polar opposites in terms of the cadence of those shows right Friday the Concords is this very kind of not slow but, it, but you know it's a much more deliberate understated uh, yeah understated you know that there, there's the music sequences whereas Sasha it's coming thick and fast. He he loves <laughs> he loves jokes coming at this incredible pace, and so really it it is dependent on on the project um, and the performers. But the other thing is, you know, is to just trust your own instincts. You know, I I was lucky to grow up in the UK in a particular time in comedy, in you know, like the late eighties, early nineties, when there were some just great shows, and I guess that's where I got my sense of humour from, and you know, as editors, we all have our specific senses of humor. Um, and mine, obviously, over the years is pretty in line with, with Sasha because I've kind of grown up working with him. But it's just trusting those those sensibilities. You know, what is that? Do I think that's funny? You know, and then presenting them and, you know, working with directors nowadays, it's constantly about, you know, okay, that's great. That was a scripted scene. Uh, now show me show me a bunch of alts on that. You know, how how could this go? And then there's a decision made where you kind of cherry pick a whole bunch of different things. But in the main, the, the rhythm of it is is coming from the way that it's performed. And Mike, like, I just think about Nathan for you and Tim and Eric, but I know you've cut other stuff as well. But what's what have you learned about cutting comedy? I mean, there are specific styles, certainly, but even they are so different from one another. And then again, different from Sasha. Like, are there universal truths you've found to cutting comedy? You know, writing on what James was saying, I think just trust your gut, trust your instincts, because, you know, whatever makes me laugh, whatever makes me laugh out loud is definitely going into the cut. And it might get cut down the road, but, 
you know, I'm, I'm blessed to work on projects that I am a huge fan of and I would have watched it had I not worked on them. So it helps to work on something that you love because my, you know, my sense of humor aligns with those comedians, those shows. So it's easier for me to dive into something like the Eric Andre show or baskets where I, I think Eric is hilarious. I think Zach is hilarious and I just will pick up on their nuances and, you know, similar to what Craig was saying, you know, it's just every show or every film is an opportunity to learn something new about the style, the rhythm, the, the comedy, because working on Nathan for you, it's heavy, that show and Nathan was heavily influenced by the Ali G show, by Borat. Yeah. And so having that experience helped get me into uh, working on this feature. And I felt like I like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I, I have experience with this, um, you know, documentary comedy style editing, but there were just some specific tweaks that I had to make along the way. And Sasha, you know, kind of broke it down a little bit. It's like, we're not going to do it like this on Nathan for you. We're going to do it like this, you know, and I could kind of see, oh, we're going to, you know, let things kind of play out in the wide a bit more to a two shot hmm. rather than interesting, you know, the, yeah. the, the back and forth with on Nathan for you. And that, that also comes from the, you know, the directing, the cinematography. So really the footage kind of dictates what I'm going to do in the editing. So yeah, it just depends. No, on that's the a really interesting, in, interesting thing to learn that the comedy is punctuated sometimes by a cut in a back and forth on Nathan for you. Whereas Sasha, it does seem like wants it to happen where you're seeing often both people, you're seeing what he's doing, you're seeing the person reacting to it and it's happening in real time. And that's a very big difference that will go unnoticed to the casual viewer. Especially, especially when you're thinking not only about the joke uh, that say, you know, Borat is saying, but the, the silence or the hesitation or the, you know, anticipation of what they're about to say, if, if, if Borat says something slightly racist, are they going to correct him or they, are they going to agree with him? So I feel like the comedy comes in like, what are they going to say? Are they going to embarrass themselves? And typically they do. And it's, it leads to a wonderful laugh. So it's just trying to yeah, figure so out, you know, what, where, yeah, where you want to kind of linger in the close up or the wide. It just depends on what's happening in the moment. Yeah, so much of comedy is is anticipation mm -hmm. and surprise. Yeah, if people don't know exactly what's going to happen, and, and this reality format of it heightens all of that. What are some of the ways you can edit something scripted to feel? I mean, we know there's ways you can shoot it to feel more like it's it's part of the documentary feel. But from the editing standpoint, are there tools you guys have that help you? turn the scripted section segue smoothly make it feel like the other sections um pacing wise are there any is there anything you do to kind of create that or maintain that feeling when you're transitioning a, a lot of that is kind of predetermined by by jason and, and sasha you know in the way that they did actually cover the scenes you know that that reportage sort of style was applied across the board it was applied to the scripted stuff and uh, often by necessity, you know, it's a run and gun scenario um, mm. when they're in real life kind of situations. So I think, but in, in, in terms of tricks, I, I don't know, guys. Do you, do you, I'm not sure. 
I mean, we de- we definitely stay in the the two shot longer, as 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 Mike touched on, and that that's something that kind of developed really from the early days working with Sasha, where you know there would be a master shot, and then the director or one of the producers would be uh, given a handheld camera, and um, often it was totally unusable because they were laughing so much, um, and and so literally the the camera would be wobbling around so much that we'd have to stay in the two shot. And then Sasha, I think, quickly realized that that's where the, you know, there's no artifice in that, right? That, that there's no manipulation. Nothing's been messed around with. And if you're sitting down with someone right. like Rudy Giuliani or a, a, any of these big kind of names, you know, often people could level at you, well, that's been manipulated through editing. And what we realized right. is if you if you use that two shot as much as possible, um, it, it just adds so much credibility to to what you're doing. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. And sometimes too, even with, with the more scripted um, scenes, I, you know, you tend to maybe look for a take where the camera is a little shakier or sure. maybe the camera guy bumped or drifted out of <laughs> focus. But honestly, for those, for the scenes that are scripted, I think it um, helps it feel a little more, more, you know, rough, rough and natural and some, you know, some, some, Sometimes that helps as well. Yeah, looking for moments where the camera is swinging from one act from you know two tar to Borat in a very naturalistic way, where it's you know the two cameras aren't planted on tripods because that's when it feels like almost like a sitcom or a, a staged situation. So, and I think they you know they would shoot a few takes of it, and I think over time you know Jason would get a sense of okay, we need to keep. The camera moving to make it feel more of that documentary style, even though we know it's scripted. Um, and and the scene was also evolving uh, on the set too. So they were you know rewriting jokes or trying to condense moments. So I think the not because the scene was changing live on the spot, the, the the camera operators were also having to find them in the frame, and so it just felt a little more natural. I, I want to kind of go back to something I normally ask at the beginning, which is like, what inspired you to build a career in post-production, in filmmaking in general? I'm curious what where your inspiration to follow the path came from uh, and, you know, what, I guess, as kind of a follow-up, what, what was the beginning career-wise? Like, what was the first job and what got you started in the career? Maybe we'll go again, Craig, James, Michael. I mean, I was always a huge movie buff, but when I was younger, you know, I just, I, I just have to record them off t- TV. So a lot, a lot of the movies that I, that I saw were edited for television, <laughs> you know, which I, you know, which I didn't know. And even though we went to the theater a lot, I'd still to really watch as much as I can. I was watching those cut down films, and then when I was around thirteen years old, there were. S- sort of like four of us that were really good friends. And one of our um, friends moved to the East Coast. And at that point, we decided we would spend the summer making videos for him. So we basically spent the entire summer and made like a 45-minute sort of SNL episode with a bunch of sketches, which uh, were not funny. But at the time, we we thought there were because 10 or 15 – years ago i mean we all still have the vhs tape and we popped it in and you can still basically see it it's 
it's uh, terrible. But um, <laughs> but the amount of time that I spent assembling that to, together when I think back at it, I had a little Radio Shack audio mixer and two VCRs, and and I and I never realized until years later that that's sort of where my love for editing started because I, I enjoyed doing, I enjoyed cutting them together much, much more than actually, you know, much more than actually filming it. And then when I uh, went to college, I realized, you know, how, how, how many people wanted their short films edited. Everyone wanted to be a director. So I just, um, I just started cutting everybody's film and then it just sort of evolved into Luckily, me getting hired at Pixar Animation Studios uh, while they were making A Bug's Life, so they were still relatively small, and there were there weren't a lot of people in the Bay Area that that they could find that were into editing and that knew how to use the digital software at the time, which was Avid. So uh. I was very fortunate enough that there just weren't a lot of people in the pool to hire in the in yeah. the Bay Area, and. Uh, that's just sort of how I fell into this. And I worked in animation for a few years and then transitioned into live action. That's an awesome story. I want to see the VHS one day. Oh, God. You know what? <laughs> and you know what? A friend of mine showed it to his girlfriend like 15 years ago, and we all got really mad because it's not, it's really not something that anybody should watch. Yeah, don't, don't let it get on YouTube. No, no. I think, I mean, I still love the tape, but I'm, I'm sure it's, probably degraded quite a bit more james well i i guess i I had you know a fairly young age maybe like i think when i was just uh starting in high school um there was a film uh studies course at at my school run by this guy called harvey flint who was just a brilliant man and he basically had an eight millimeter camera and he would like kind of encourage us to to just kind of make little movies and we had a little splicer and and that was that was really the first experience I had of of making film and, and cutting it and then that just kind of drifted away completely and I became um I thought I wanted to work in music so I was really hmm. interested in like um you know recording studios and all of that kind of stuff and I wrote a bunch of letters trying to get into that had no kind of clue what I was doing and then kind of financial, uh, I left school and, 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 and I needed to, to make a buck. Um, and so I trained as a chef, actually, to, to, I learned how to cook wow. and worked in various hotels in London for a long time. And then just was like, you know what, I'm not sure I want to do this. And a, a friend, a girlfriend at the time was working in a post house in Covent Garden in London. And she said, well, we need a, we need a runner for for a week because someone's sick or whatever would you want to come and just earn you know a week's money making tea for people and and running around getting lunches and stuff I was like yeah sure and I kind of went in there and I kind of looked around and I was like wow this is this is great this is similar to the environment that I imagined you know a recording studio to feel like um Uh, having not been in them and I got chatting to some of the editors and they were like super encouraging and really kind of friendly and so then that job of a week turned into a full-time hire as a, as a, as a runner, which in Soho in 1987 involved, you know, basically just getting people what they needed from, from Soho, you know, be it lunches or whatever yeah. it was. 
and I, I met a bunch of people. So there were a load of commercials people and music video people who, who were working there. And I uh, actually got very lucky and started working with someone called Kevin Godley. I don't know if you, you know him. He, he was the drummer in 10CC and then basically went on to become a big video director, directing videos for U2 and all kinds of people. And so I got thrown in at the deep end with him one day. His, his editor was sick. Uh, and I'd been assisting, and he said, well, you're up. <laughs> and I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, you're up. And it basically took me probably two days to do something that would have taken Jerry, who was I was assisting, maybe two hours. But Kevin and his producer were like, okay, this is cool. Um, and so then I was lucky enough to go on and work, work with him for years and years. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a, a, I kind of fell into it. It was a very circuitous route. Um, but incredibly fortunate, you know, I feel very... But also right yeah. right place, right time and making the most of the opportunity, I guess. I guess so, yeah. I got. I was very, very lucky. There was a huge element of luck. And Mike? Similar to James, I, I didn't know this about James, but um, I went to college to pursue a music path as well. And as they were calling out all the different majors and groups, you know, I was waiting for them to call music. I was going to get into like, music production, recording. Uh, they said film. And I said, you know what? Let me go check that out instead. And <laughs> it was a last minute change. It was a last minute change. And my mom was with me. And I was like, I was like let's go do it. She said, you sure? I was like, sure. And I, it, it opened up my eyes to you know, the possibilities of, of where my career could go. Because I've, I've always had an interest in uh, filming. I you know, made little animations when I was younger on my dad's high eight camera, like a lot of in-camera, you know, frames, stop, start, start, stop, start with action figures, making them move. And um, in high school, we, my senior year, we had a, a TV lab that didn't interest a single soul except for, for me. And so I would spend every free period learning the Avid, um, learning how to use their cameras, edit on their machines. Um, so I had some experience leading into college and I figured... You know, I wanted to keep music more of a passion. I didn't want to make it a career. So I figured, you know, I had some creative interest in, in filmmaking. So decided to pursue that path. In college, met a few friends and we just would, you know, make funny videos all the time. And I realized that in the edit, we could punch it up with music or sound effects or visual effects and realize like the, the possibilities were endless in the editing room. So I felt like, I had a lot more creative control over what I was making. If I wasn't sure what I was shooting, I could still fix it in post. Right. Um, and, you know, in college, that's when Tim and Eric were, were starting to, they, they had their show on Adult Swim. And I was like, wow, this is very much what I'm interested in and what I'm, I've been doing lately. When I graduated, I'd love to work for them. So uh, I met them in Philly. I was living in Philly at the time. and talked to Tim after one of their live shows and, you know, said I was moving out to LA. I'd love to intern with them and cold called them one day and spoke to their, uh, uh, one of their producers and said, Oh yeah, Tim said that uh, we can work for you guys. And they're like, okay, yeah, just come in on Monday. And me and my friend, Bill Benz, who's <laughs> a director. Um, now we were both interning for them at the time. And to this day, Eric and Tim just joke about how we lied our way in there. 
like, <laughs> you said they said we could work. Yeah, here. we said we could work here. And they're like, okay, because they, you know, they they could use the free help. So uh, it was at it was at that <laughs> company, funny. Absolutely Productions, that I met uh, Jonathan Kreisel, who went on to direct Portlandia sure. and Baskets. Yeah. So I worked with him on both of those shows. I met Eric Andre through Absolutely Productions. I met Nathan Fielder and Jason Wolner. So my whole world started you know, emerging from Absolutely Productions and started as all those directors and actors and talent started branching off in their own directions. I just kind of still kept in contact with them yeah. and, and, you know, because they, they've always liked my work and I've always liked working with them. Yeah, well, it's, that stuff's all great. Um, it's great that it, it all started with a, a little lie, too. <laughs> yeah, just to lie your way in there. Get in the door, get in the door lie, and mm-hmm. you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's a little lie. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. It was really fun. I'm a, admire all of your work, and uh, I hope people enjoy this uh, and watch the movie, and of course, everything else you guys are up to. So, thank you again. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe, and rate and leave a comment. Let us know what you think check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Please also check out our gear guides. If you're looking for any kind of gear, editing software, cameras, sound equipment, No Film School has got you covered because we've researched all the gear that exists and checked out the prices and we've put together guides where you can actually click to buy and find everything you need and what it might apply to, depending on if you're shooting a dock or a feature or you have a low budget or who knows, whatever you're up to. So go down to the bottom of our homepage and you'll see gear guides. You can also find it at the top of the homepage and check those out. Um, Thanks so much to Michael, Craig, and James for coming on. Uh, Borat is obviously a cultural phenomenon, continues to be one, and the sequel was part of that as well. So it was really cool to talk to them. And uh, I love when we get to have people on about post-production. If you want to hear more about post-production, let us know. Send us questions and comments at editor at nofilmschool.com. Thanks so much. 